0: Welcome to the July 21st, 2022 episode of BLOOD Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in BLOOD, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we'll first review new work revealing the critical role of the tension-sensitive cation channel PISO-1 in the trans-endothelial migration of leukocytes. We'll also review new research suggesting that CD8-positive T-cells dimly expressing the CD4 antigen are increased in patients with various forms of secondary HLH, a finding that may have diagnostic, prognostic, and therapeutic significance. Finally, we'll review a large, genome-wide association study identifying the type O blood group as a novel risk factor for heparin-induced thrombocytopenia a finding that could have implications for prediction of this syndrome and for the management of related conditions. Let's start with the research article entitled Mechanosensation by Endothelial PISO-1 is Required for Leukocyte Diapedesis by Shengpeng Wang of Jiang Zhaotong University in Jiang, China, Stefan Offerman of Max Planck Institute for Heart and Lung Research in Bad Nauheim, Germany, and colleagues. Leukocyte transendothelial migration, also referred to as leukocyte extravasation or diapedesis, is a critical step during the inflammatory response. A multi step paradigm for leukocyte transendothelial migration was first proposed in the early 1990s. And today, the mechanisms of initial interactions between leukocytes and endothelial cells have been well described. The earlier steps of the process, capture and rolling, involve interactions between endothelial selectins and glycoproteins of leukocytes. Later steps, namely arrest, firm adhesion, and crawling, are mediated predominantly by integrins on leukocytes that bind to and induce clustering of the endothelial adhesion molecules ICAM-1 and VCAM-1. However, it's still not clear how these initial processes lead to the opening of the endothelial barrier, a process that involves both remodeling of endothelial adherence junctions and contraction of endothelial cells. It's been shown that adherent leukocytes induce transient increases in cytosolic free calcium ion concentration in endothelial cells and that this is required to induce leukocyte extravasation. That leads to the present study by Wang, Offerman, and colleagues, which employs both in vivo mouse models of inflammation and in vitro approaches, including electrophysiology, to study the role of PISO1, a mechanically activated cation channel in leukocyte diapedesis. The authors first performed an siRNA knockdown screen of 360 known endothelial transmembrane proteins to determine if any were required for transendothelial migration in vitro. The screen identified a requirement for PISO-1. PISO-1 forms homotrimeric complexes that are sufficient to mediate mechanically induced currents. Studies have demonstrated that PISO-1 is directly gated by changes in cellular membrane tension. PISO-1 is capable of sensing shear stress due to flow across the endothelial surface. When sufficiently activated by tension, PISO-1 allows positively charged ions, such as calcium, to enter the cell. Next, the investigators demonstrated a reduction in leukocyte extravasation in mice with endothelium-specific PISO-1 deficiency in multiple models of inflammation. Because of the importance of calcium signaling in the opening of the endothelial barrier, Investigators also looked at the effects of PISO-1 on mediating calcium ion influx. They found that inducing shear stress at a shear rate of 1.2 dynes per centimeter squared had a minimal effect on cytosolic calcium ion. Likewise, neutrophil firm adhesion had only a modest effect. By contrast, the combination of adherent neutrophils with fluid shear stress resulted in a strong increase in the concentration of endothelial cytosolic calcium ion. They also tested the potential involvement of PISO-1 in the induction of downstream signaling events that mediate leukocyte diapodesis. In particular, flow alone had almost no effect on phosphorylation of PIC 2 SARC, and myosin light chain, or MLC. And adding polymorphonuclear leukocytes also had little effect. But the combination of flow and polymorphonuclear leukocytes synergistically induced pic 2 SARC, and MLC phosphorylation. Of note, the synergistic effect was markedly attenuated following knockdown of PISO-1. Thus, according to investigators, leukocytes and the hemodynamic microenvironment synergize to activate endothelial PISO-1 and subsequent downstream signaling that mediates leukocyte diapodesis. In a commentary on this research, also published in Blood, Peter L. Hordjik of Amsterdam UMC in the Netherlands said PISO-1 is a, quote, new and intriguing piece of the puzzle that illustrates calcium's role in the process of leukocyte extravasation. Horgic writes that the effects downstream of calcium ions such as PIC2 and SARC activation are already well described, meaning that the novelty of the present paper is the identification of the upstream regulatory role of PISO-1. In particular, He said the research underscores the importance of endothelial piezo-1 in the process of leukocyte extravasation and pinpoints the cause of activation as being membrane tension stemming from the cooperative effect of flow and ICAM-1 clustering. Through the discovery of this novel mechanosensing and mechanosignaling process underlying leukocyte diapedesis, the investigators may have set the stage for future research. That could lead to new anti-inflammatory therapeutic approaches. Next, let's review a research article entitled Expansion of CD4 DIM CD8 positive T cells characterizes macrophage activation syndrome and other secondary HLH. The first author is Ariana Dimatisse of the Scientific Institute for Research, Hospitalization, and Healthcare in Rome, Italy. Hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH, is a severe inflammatory syndrome with diverse ideologies. Primary HLH results from inherited defects in proteins involved in the cytotoxicity of natural killer cells and cytotoxic T-cells. Secondary HLH can result from infections, malignancies, immune deficiencies, autoinflammatory disorders, and rheumatic diseases. Macrophage Activation Syndrome, or MAS, is considered a subset of secondary HLH. MAS is associated with rheumatic diseases such as systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis, or SJIA. Despite this diversity of underlying mechanisms, growing evidence suggests that HLH patients may share distinctive underlying immune profiles. In a 2021 report in Blood, Chaturvedi and colleagues found that the immune hyperactivation of primary HLH is characterized by a specific T-cell activation profile. They found patients with HLH had increased numbers of CD8-positive T-cells that typically expressed high levels of CD38 and HLA-DR. Furthermore, the frequency of CD38-high HLA-DR-positive CD8-positive T-cells above a specific threshold, was able to distinguish primary HLH from early sepsis with strong positive and negative prediction values. In secondary HLH, the role of activated CD8-positive T-cells is not as well settled. The present single-center study by DeMatteis and co-investigators was designed to assess the activation profile of CD8-positive T-cells in children with various types of secondary HLH, including MAS. They also sought to determine whether T cell activation profiles could be used to distinguish secondary HLH from autoinflammatory conditions such as SJIA. The authors studied a cohort of 74 children, including 14 with MAS associated with SJIA, 7 with infection associated HLH, and 9 with HLH secondary to other triggers, along with 27 patients with active SJIA and 17 with inactive SJIA. The study also included three patients with primary HLH, plus a prospective replication cohort of 16 secondary HLH patients and 9 SJIA patients. Investigators found that CD38-high, HLADR positive CD8-positive T-cells, the cell population previously studied by Chaturvedi et al. in primary HLH were present with a significantly higher frequency in the patients with secondary HLH as compared to patients with active or inactive SJIA alone. They also found the proportion of CD38-high HLA-DR-positive CD8-positive T-cells could be used to reliably discriminate patients with secondary HLH as a whole, or when subgrouped as MAS, infection-associated HLH, and other HLH from those with active SJIA. Immunophenotyping also revealed a significant increase in frequency of CD8-positive T-cells expressing low levels of the CD4 antigen among the patients with secondary HLH. In CD8-positive T-cells, CD4 expression has been shown to modulate cytotoxic function and to mediate cellular responses to viruses and alloantigens. Looking at the proportion of CD8-positive T-cells expressing the CD4 antigen, investigators found they could reliably distinguish secondary HLH, both as a whole and in subgroups, from patients with active SJIA. The CD8-positive T-cells with dim CD4 antigen also expressed high levels of CD38 and HLA-DR, suggesting that they are a subgroup of CD38-high, HLA-DR-positive, CD8-positive T-cells. Finally, investigators sought to determine whether the proportion of activated T-cells was linked to disease severity, specifically in patients with MAS. The percentage of CD38-high, hladr positive CD8-positive T-cells, did correlate with several laboratory parameters of disease severity, as well as circulating levels of IL-18, but not with serum levels of CXCL9, the interferon-gamma-inducible chemokine. By contrast, the percentage of CD8-positive T-cells with CD4 expression correlated well with each patient's laboratory parameters— Circulating IL 18 levels, and also with CXCL9 levels. Some final notes. The three patients with primary HLH also had a high percentage of CD38 high HLA DR positive CD8 positive T cells, as well as a high frequency of CD8 positive T cells with dim CD4 expression, and overall findings were confirmed in the replication cohort with levels of both activated T cell populations able to reliably distinguish secondary HLH from SJIA and percentage of cells correlated with clinical severity. In an accompanying commentary, Michael B. Jordan of Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center said that in this study of patients with MAS or secondary HLH, the described expansion of recently activated CD8-positive T-cells bears important immunologic similarities to familial HLH. This suggests a unified immune profile between primary and some forms of secondary HLH in humans. According to Jordan, the findings also reinforce the proposition that HLH is a disorder of acute CD8 T-cell activation that is both unusual and harmful, supporting experimental data. In addition, he said the finding of CD4 expression on the CD8-positive T-cells of these patients with MAS or secondary HLH extends what is known about the T-cell activation phenotype of familial HLH as described in the earlier study. In closing, Jordan said that HLH and MAS, previously regarded as mysterious syndromes, are beginning to reveal their secrets. As these syndromes are elucidated, it becomes increasingly obvious that they share a common pathophysiology in which T-cell hyperactivation plays a role. This may translate into common therapeutic targets in future research, he said, for these, quote, birds of a feather that flock together. The final article, entitled abo blood group as a risk factor for platelet reactivity in heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, by Jason H. Carnes, and Dan M. Roden of Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville and co-authors. Heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT, is an unpredictable and potentially catastrophic prothrombotic syndrome. HIT, which results from an IgG mediated immune response to platelet factor 4 heparin complexes, occurs in up to 2.4% of individuals who receive unfractionated or low molecular weight heparin. Although multiple risk factors have been uncovered, it remains currently impossible to predict, prior to heparin administration, which patients will develop HIT. There is hope that discovery-oriented approaches, including genome-wide association studies, could identify genetic risk factors for HIT. Some genome-wide association studies have indeed identified some potential risk factors for HIT. However, the largest of these studies had only 96 cases in its discovery cohort, and 86 in the replication cohort. Building on that background, Karnes, Roden, and colleagues conducted a large case-controlled genome-wide association study seeking to identify and validate genetic predictors of platelet reactivity and HIT. The discovery cohort included patients who had undergone testing at a single center in Germany for PF4 heparin antibodies and heparin-induced platelet activation, or HIPAA. This observational cohort was split into three groups, including 1,269 functional assay-positive cases, which were positive for both HIPAA and for PF4 heparin antibodies, 1,131 antibody-positive controls, which were negative for HIPAA but positive for PF4 heparin antibodies, and 1,766 antibody-negative controls, which had negative assays for both HIPAA and for PF4 heparin antibodies. A replication cohort, derived from patients recruited prospectively at a center in France, were likewise divided into three groups, including 177 hit cases confirmed by serotonin release assay, or SRA, 258 controls with positive PF4 heparin antibody results but negative SRA, and 351 controls with negative PF4 heparin antibody results and negative SRA functional assay. All discovery and replication cohort samples were genotyped using a chip containing more than 958,000 markers, including 273,000 functional exonic markers. The primary genome-wide association study analysis used multivariable logistic regression with functional assay-confirmed case status as the outcome. In the discovery cohort, a total of 47 SNPs were significantly associated with functional assay-positive case status. All of these SNPs were on chromosome 9, within a 6.4 kilobase region of the ABO gene. Investigators sequenced a 30,000-plus base pair region surrounding the ABO gene, identifying a total of 956 polymorphic sites, RS8176719 was pinpointed as the most likely causal SNP through two different methods of analysis. In both the discovery and replication cohorts, the RS8176719C insertion variant in ABO was significantly associated with positive functional assay status. Overall, Insertion of RS8176719C had a protective effect, while deletion of RS8176719C was a risk factor for HIT. Keep in mind that insertion of the RS8176719C allele encodes all non-O blood groups, whereas deletion of RS8176719C allele encodes for the O blood group. About 35% of patients in both cohorts were assigned to the O blood group, while 47% were assigned to A, 12% to B, and 6% to the AB group. The O blood group, again, corresponding to the RS8176719C deletion allele, was a significant risk factor for functional assay-positive status in comparison to non-O blood groups, with an odds ratio of 1.42. Finally, in meta-analyses, the ABO association was found to be independent of PF4 heparin IgG levels. Moreover, the ABO association was stronger when functional assay-positive cases were compared to antibody-positive, functional assay-negative controls than when functional assay-positive cases were compared to antibody-negative controls. This implies that having PF4 heparin antibodies in the presence of type O blood may predispose an individual to thrombocytopenia, according to Brooke Sadler of the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Furthermore, this outcome of thrombocytopenia may not necessarily be directly related to type O blood, Sadler writes in a commentary on the study that also appears in blood. Instead, it could be related to other phenotypes and biomarkers previously linked to the ABO locus, such as P-selectin von Willebrand factor antigen levels, factor VIII levels, or the IgG receptor FC-gamma R2A. Nevertheless, the findings do have significant clinical implications, Sadler says, in that clinicians should be more vigilant for signs of hit among patients with type O blood. In addition, the findings could be translatable to related conditions, such as vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia, or VIT. This study also sets up promising avenues that could be pursued in the future that involve use of Mendelian randomization to parse out relationships between biomarkers associated with the ABO locus. In the era of big data, Sadler concludes, other promising avenues include analysis of non-coding DNA, methylation, proteomics, and other high-throughput approaches. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.